So sorry about that. So we are in the Gospel of Luke this morning. If you will, turn to Luke 8. And we're actually starting a new series if you haven't, haven't caught on already. Uh, and this series um, is going to focus on the stories of Jesus. And this morning we're going to look specifically at the parable of the sower. And it's such an interesting idea that when we look at, at parables um, and we, we, we look at this one, which is a famous parable. Lots of people know about this parable. They've heard this story many times. Uh, yet there's so much to pull from it and, and so much to recognize here in the words of Jesus Christ and, and to look at what he would have us today to pull from it um, because there's some interesting things here when we start to look at really what's happening in, in, in the spiritual world. And sometimes we don't recognize in our 21st century that, that, that the devil is at work. Um, and at the same time, we are told and commanded to go preach the word, uh, to go make disciples of all people and recognizing that every time we do that, we aren't guaranteed success. And so we're going to learn um, what this means for us today as we glean through this parable. Uh, and the major doctrine that I want to defend this morning is that when the word penetrates the heart deeply, it grows saving faith and spiritual fruit. And I love this quote from Matthew Henry. It says, to what purpose have, have we the seed of scripture if it be not sown? To what purpose have we the seed of scripture if it be not sown? And it's that idea that God gives us the word, and he doesn't give us the word so that we can just enjoy it privately and not go share it with the world. God has given us the word so that we may go out and sow it. And that concept I want you to have um, in your mind this morning, and really in your heart, is that we've been saved by the word sown in our hearts, so that we might be about sowing it in the hearts of others. All right, so we're going to make three stops this morning. We're going to take a look at the three bad hearts that are listed here. Uh, and then we're going to move on to look at this, this truth that, that these types of hearts, these three types of hearts, they're bad hearts, but they're always present. They're here today. And then also, um, we're going to end up on our last stop, taking a look and focusing on the one good heart. So the three bad hearts, hearts always present, and the one good heart. If you will stand with me and we will read this passage that was just so wonderfully um, acted out for us. Luke 8, 1 through 15. It says this, soon afterward he went through the cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God and the twelve were with him and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary Magdalene from whom seven demons had gone out and Joanna the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering the people of the town after town came to him he said in a parable a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell on the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. And some fell into good soil, and it grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then his disciples asked him what this parable meant. And he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path of those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, 
so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no roots. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You may be seated. So what we have to recognize here is that Jesus teaches in parables. And when we think about parables today, um, it's important to recognize that these are truths that are taught uh, in, in creative ways. And, and Jesus is using these, these images and these ideas that the people in his time could relate to. And in this, in this culture, it would have been very easy for them to contextualize this, to, to recognize you know, the whole process of, of spreading seed and seeing that process of something that is really small and doesn't really have any fruit with it being planted into the ground and then later producing much fruit. But sometimes when you plant a seed, it doesn't produce any fruit. Sometimes the birds come and get it and eat it before it can do its thing. Sometimes the ground is just too hard and that seed can't penetrate the surface. And other times there's other elements that, 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 are, that are the cause and the culprit of, of, of keeping what you planted from growing and bearing fruit. But they could all recognize, they could all think of the times in which there was fruit that came out of what was planted. But Jesus is saying, think about that human analogy in light of what's happening in the spiritual world. So a parable gives us some insight into the spiritual world. And Jesus is saying these things, but when he says these things, he says them that, that these things are not going to be understood by some people. And we're going to struggle through that a little bit. But what we have to recognize, I believe, is that, 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 that when we're doing gospel ministry, we should have sober expectations to recognize that these three bad hearts are going to be present. So let's start with that this morning, focusing on these three bad hearts. So the first one is, is that type of soil that, that actually it's really not about the soil. It's, it's about what happens as soon as the seeds are planted. And it's the ones uh, that you see in verse 12. If you look at verse 12, it says, And the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then what happens? Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. And Luke explicitly gives us insight into this that the word of God is the seed. He says that in verse 11. He says the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Uh, and so he explicitly makes that clear that this is the analogy that the word of God is the seed. But th where the word of God falls, where the word of God is heard, it isn't always guaranteed success in bringing those who hear it to salvation. And that's tough for us, right? Because we want to believe that every time we preach that there's going to be fruit. We want to believe that every time we share the gospel with somebody that they're just going to get it and they're going to accept it and we can go on and, and share the gospel again with someone else. But how often have you, have you seen in, in real life and in, in real practical application um, that, that there's people that we preach the gospel to, but the message doesn't seem to sink down below the surface. It doesn't seem to quite penetrate their, their, their carnal minds. It's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like talking to somebody and they're really not getting it. They're really not with you. They're sitting there and they're like, it's going in their ears, but it's not penetrating their heart. And you can say whatever you want to say. You can cry in front of them. You can do whatever you think you need to do to try to 
break that surface, but it doesn't do anything, right? And you walk away, and what is really clear is that the devil is at work in those moments. Um, and and, and, and the, the, there's this, this thing that happens that we don't really understand. We don't understand how the devil comes and does his work in that, to, to, as, as this says, Jesus says this, he says that the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, and he does it with purpose. What's the purpose? So that they may not believe and be saved. Oof. So we have to recognize that there's something happening in the spiritual world that we have no control over, right? We have no power in and of ourselves to press that seed below the surface. If we could, we would, wouldn't we? If we could press that seed below the surface so that the devil can't come and do his thing, if we could some way get the word of God to, to uh, make an actual lasting impression in their hearts and their conscience, to, to penetrate, to go below and have that's causing effect before the devil comes and snatches it, whatever that looks like, we don't, see, we don't know. We don't get the explicit uh, you know, narrative of what that, what, that, what that looks like. But what we can have confidence in is that the first type of bad heart, the, the first type of heart that hears the word that doesn't produce fruit, its cause for its not producing fruit, is that the devil is at work and taking what was meant for good and keeping it from penetrating below and keeping it from penetrating the heart, keeping it from penetrating the conscience and the mind so that the people who, even though they hear, they are kept from believing, which would lead to salvation. So we would, be, we would look at this and we think, okay, what do we do? do we, does that mean that we just give up because the devil's at work? No, we're going to continue that work. We're going to continue to preach. We're going to continue to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to continue to preach the word while recognizing the exact same time while we're at work, Satan is at work. While you're at work, he's at work. When you take a day off, he doesn't take a day off. When you're at sleep, he's out there still doing his thing. So we've got to pray because there's a spiritual battle here that you and I can't affect in any other way but in the pray for God's will to be done, to pray for success in evangelism, to pray for success as the word of God is preached because God alone can overcome the devil in this, even though we would love to be able to somehow cause those who do not believe to believe. We'll talk more about that in just a second. But the other heart that we see in verse 13 the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. Can't you think of people who you've seen, um, they seem to get it. When you preach to them, they seem to get it. They seem to be joyous for a second. They seem to be like real converts. And, and this is the struggle that I believe we have to have a little bit of, of pause and concern over when we're doing um, massive altar calls and, and, and massive harvest nights. I used to work with, with several different ministries, and we would go to these cities, and we would, we would do these things in these schools. And on a Wednesday night, we would have hundreds and hundreds. Sometimes some of the events that I'd go to, thousands of people would be there. And when we'd see hundreds and hundreds of people come forward, what was what was penetrating to my heart, what was sad to my heart was though that you could see that not everyone was truly converted. 
And so we have to have pause that not everyone who makes a profession of faith with their mouth is converted. There's some who seem to have some joy, some who seem to receive, some who celebrate, some who have a deep interest. Um, you know, I believe that there's some that, that, that they can have a, a, some sort of, you know, outward expression that looks genuine. Now, I'm not saying that you be hypercritical and you don't do altar calls and you shouldn't share your faith publicly and that you shouldn't call people um, to, to surrender their lives to Christ. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we've got to have pause and not count what is converted what that has not yet been converted. Because the only one who can do true conversion is God. God is the one who actually can take people from spiritual death to spiritual life. But some people who have not been converted can still show a genuine interest in the gospel. And these are those types of people that, that they're like, they're happy, let's do this. And you know what we can see is some of these people actually, um, you know, they might join a Sunday school class. Uh, they might actually get involved in some certain things. But, but they don't have the lasting love for Christ because their heart hasn't truly been changed. The Holy Spirit hasn't come and brought them and converted them from death to life. And so what we have to look at is, as long as the cost is low, there may be some people who are willing to follow Jesus Christ. But as the scripture says, as, as the trials come, as the times get hard, when it's harder and harder to follow Christ, those who are truly in Christ are the ones who will persevere to the end. And I believe that. I believe that only the converted are the ones who can actually persevere to the end. And why? why? Why do I believe that? Because I believe Scripture is clear on that, that all that the Father has given the Son, the Son shall lose none of them. So you cannot fall away because we are kept by Him. And if we are kept by Him, we cannot fall away. So this isn't an image of people who were saved, and then when times got tough, they didn't have enough faith, and then they fell away and then became unsaved. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about people who have not been regenerate, they have, not been, they have not been brought from death to life. They, have not, they don't properly belong in the hand of Christ. And when, when Jesus says, all the Father has given to me, I shall lose none of them, but raise them up on the last day. That means none of those will ever be lost. So it isn't possible for you to be saved, walk a little while, trials come, then you lose your salvation because you didn't stand up under the trials. That's not the point. The point is... That there are some who have interest in the gospel, have interest in Jesus Christ, but they're not actually belonging to Christ. So we have to watch out for these, because these are the types of people that very much can show up, hang out with us, be a part of us even for a little time, but yet not belong to Christ. As Martin Lloyd-Jones has said many times, some know what it is like to be in the church, but not in Christ. So I want to put on the screen something that is, that is worth noting when we look at people who have shallow roots, as we see in verse 13, that there's also no sin we could ever commit that proves that we are not saved. All right, I want to, I want to emphasize this because it is not about that we prove that we are saved because we don't do some sin um, and, and, and we do not pro prove that we... we we, we are uh, unregenerate because we have done X, Y, or Z. That's not the point. There is no single sin that we would ever commit that proves that we are not saved. But here's the thing. What does prove that we are not saved is that when we prove that we don't belong to Christ. And how do you prove that you're not belonging to Christ? 
I think, for one, that you don't have a lasting love for Jesus Christ. I believe the first thing that happens when you're regenerated, when you're, been, when you're born again, when you're made new, is you have a love for God. You used to be an enemy of God. Now you love God. And that love for God is what drives all other behaviors in the Christian walk. That love for God is what causes you to grieve over your sin even when you do sin, even though you're a believer. So it's not a matter of there's some sin that we commit that proves we're not saved. What proves that we are saved is a lasting love for Christ. And where there is true love for Christ, there is true love from Christ. We love Christ and he loves us. But remember, he says that you don't love me first. He goes, you love because I first loved you. So we belong to Christ, we are loved by Christ, and we are changed by Christ, and this is what leads us to then return our love towards Christ, and this is part of the cycle of abiding in Christ. If you remember in John 15, Jesus goes into depth about what it means um, to abide in Christ. John 15, 10 talks about that, that this looks like obedience, and if you love me, you will obey me, and there's, there's a lot more to unpack there. But some may appear to be in Christ, but they are dead branches that bear no fruit because they have no root in Christ. Do you get that? I think the shallow roots are those same people who appear to be in Christ, but they're actually dead branches that bear no fruit because they have no root in Christ. And I want to put this on the screen for us to think about as well. It is not that true believers never sin. It is that true believers grieve over their sin. Take a picture of that, write that down, do whatever you need to do, keep that in your mind. It's not that true believers never sin, it is that true believers grieve over their sin. Burn that into your brain. Because those who are truly belonging to Christ want to love Christ, desire to please Christ, desire to serve Christ, and when we fail to, we are grieved by that. The, the, the third bad heart, choking on pleasure. Those are the ones that we see in verse 14. It says, they hear the word, but as they go, they're choked out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of the world. Choking on pleasure. And their fruit does not mature. So what causes them to not grow in Christ, to truly, to truly produce fruit, is that they're choked out by the cares of, and the riches and the pleasures that the world has to offer. But do you know what? If we actually look... Back to the same argument, I'm not going to stop it. If you're regenerate, if you're born again, if you truly belong to Christ, all of that stuff doesn't mean anything. What did Paul say? He says, all things I count as loss compared to knowing Christ. If we say that we love our stuff more than we love Christ, we prove, therefore, that Christ is not in us and that we are not in him. Now, that's not to say that we won't have some struggle. Hey, we're in America. We're all materialists. We're all struggling with things. That's not the proof of it. But what, 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 the, what the text explicitly is talking about is that there's some people that they hear the word, okay? It seems to be doing something. It's kind of like the, first, the, the second ones that they, don't, they have shallow roots. There's, there's something that seems to be happening. But what happens is it doesn't go all the way. And in this case, they're choked out by the cares and riches and the pleasures of life. And what? And their fruit does not mature. So they show some symbols of, of true saving faith. They show something there, but it's not a mature fruit. And the fruit is kept from maturing because they're choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of the world. And how often have we seen this? Um, that there's, there's individuals who show great interest in Christ. 
They, they, they are attracted to Christ. They're attracted to the, the, the gospel. They're attracted to the church. But then what happens is that they, they still have a love for the world that's so great that in a way, Christ becomes less beautiful to them. And so you've got two different competing things. And, and, and what actually happens in the heart of these people who are choking on pleasure, that the pleasures and the cares and the riches of the world become more beautiful than Christ. And as, as far as we can say that that is our normative, our, 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 our pattern, um, the, the character, if you will, if you could summarize that which your affections are towards, if you say that the world, its cares, its riches, and its pleasures are more beautiful than Christ, then you belong to this group right here. Because that's exactly what causes them to not want to follow Christ. They're saying these things are more beautiful than Jesus. These things are more fulfilling than Jesus. And in that, they prove to not be Jesus' disciples. Truly saved, truly converted. These aren't people who are saved and then because they get caught up in the cares of the world that they, that they lose their salvation, their fruit never matures. They never get there. It's not like they had some fruit and then that fruit went bad. The fruit never grew. It never matured. And Jesus says that this is something that we've got to recognize. And so what we've got to do is we've got to recognize that in these three hearts that Jesus Christ is wanting us to see is that it's all heading towards something. And what it's heading towards, and we see in verse 15, and we'll, and, and we'll, we'll look at this in a little more detail in just a second, but let me at least pass over it for a second and we'll come back. He says, but as for in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Do you see where the sum is? Do you see where the goal is? The goal is producing this fruit. And as I've stated as my major doctrine, that when the word penetrates the heart deeply, it grows saving faith and spiritual fruit. You can't have one without the other in true saving faith. You can't just have simple intellectual belief about some historical facts or even believing that there was a person named Jesus Christ who died on the cross. That's having that cerebral type of faith without actually having the love trust and commitment that actually goes with it because as we are transformed as we are changed the fruit that produces from the holy spirit getting inside of us and messing us up the fruit that is produced is a spiritual fruit that goes with salvation with saving faith is this spiritual fruit and that in part is this affection and love towards god but then it also starts to look like practical obedience because jesus says if you love me you'll obey me if you love me, you will obey me. And you've got to wrestle with that. What does that mean? Well, that's the tough part about Christianity because as he says that, that, that we are his sheep, the sheep know his voice, the sheep follow him, the sheep listen to him, the sheep need a lot of work and a lot of care, all right? We're all on this progress, right? You know, we're all on this trail and Jesus is, you know, keeping us in line, the sheep like to wander, and that's part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. But here are the three hearts, but I want to move on to our second stop here and take a look at this. I think it's a warning that we can get out of this text. Um, I don't think it's explicit in this text, but I believe it's true nonetheless. Hearts always present. I want to put this on the screen. In every congregation, on every mission field, these three hearts are present. 
those who are crushed and devoured by Satan, those who have shallow roots, and those who are choking on pleasure. Doesn't matter where you go in the mission field when you are preaching the word of God, expect to run into these three types of hearts. There will be the people who just are not affected. The word does not penetrate their heart. Nothing happens. The devil's at work there. You do your best to preach faithfully, but there's nothing that goes below the surface. You see the devil's work coming behind you. You preach the word of God, and as you relate um, to, to this, you, you start to recognize as soon as you leave, what happens? Do you have any lasting friendships that you've been, you've been preaching to, any people in your life that you've been preaching to, sharing the word with, trying to, trying to get them to recognize the beauty of the gospel? And it seems as soon as you leave, what happens? The world surrounds them. I believe that Satan has people at work for him. I've seen this in my own life. That just as God has his angels doing his work, Satan has his demons doing his work, but also that those who are slaves to the law of the flesh, those who are imprisoned and under the rule of Satan, I believe that there are people who are not, who are not governed by God but are governed by the devil. He uses those people. So as you preach the word of God and you try to, to show light and to, and to call people to repent, to turn from darkness and the power of Satan to the power of God, as soon as you leave, what happens? The power of darkness comes in. The power of darkness comes to destroy, to devour, to crush what good you've been trying to do. I don't know about you, but I've seen that. As soon as you leave, what happens? Those people that, that, that they've been trying to get away from start showing back up. Why? They work for the devil. They work for all that is dark. And they want to come and preach their message. So don't be, don't be caught off guard when you see this because this is what we're supposed to recognize that this is part of sharing the gospel. That we're going to be opposed in sharing the gospel. Not just by people, but by the devil. He's opposed to our work. So what happens is we see this in our, worship, in, in, our, in, our, in our mission field, but I believe we can also see it here. We can see these three hearts that are here um, in, in church, right? So you, have, you, have you ever thought about certain people who you've come to church and maybe even baptized, maybe even joined the church, they're members now, they're in a Sunday school class, but as soon as the trials come, they fall away, and we're grieved when they fall away? But don't you see that? Don't we see that all the time? And then we ask ourselves, why? What happened? What did we do wrong? Well, it's not necessarily about what we did right or wrong. It's the reality of the spiritual war that's going on. That there will be these people who will show some interest in Christ, but when the trials come, they fall away. Because what happens is that God alone grants faith, but we preach the word to all. But here's the thing, is that, that when people start to look at who they're saved by, who they're kept by, that, that, that only those who are actually saved will press on in saving faith. Because when people start to rely on either admiration for people, you know people come to church sometimes because they like the speaker. Sometimes people come to church because they like the, the, the social aspect that, that, that church brings them. But when the trials and the real stuff starts to hit, those relationships, those speakers, those songs aren't enough to sustain them. Only Christ can sustain us. 
So we have people who are coming here to be sustained by me and you. By, sustained by that and that. But when the trials come, me, you, that doesn't work. Because Christ alone is the only one who can sustain us. Only one who can lead us to persevere through true trials. So when these trials come, the root's not in Christ and the root's in you, the root's in me, the root's in your Sunday school class potlucks. I mean, that's good. I mean, it's really good, but it's not enough. Shameless plug for what beans So what we have to recognize is we've got to be aware of being content with any profession that doesn't bear fruit, all right? Because I believe that as we see this stuff that's happening and God alone grants faith, we preach the word to all without reservation. We preach the word even though we know that these three types of hearts can be there. We preach and as we're preaching, we have this confidence that we leave the final results in the hands of God because God alone is the one who can grant saving faith. We don't get discouraged and stop preaching. We actually get encouraged because there's one more heart. There's the three hearts that just, they're going to be there. They're here. They're there. But there's one more heart. And this is the heart that keeps us going. He starts, and you start to look at 15. He says, as for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. These are the hearts that we work for. These are the hearts that we pray for. These are the hearts that we look for, the gospel to actually take effect. For them to go from spiritual death to spiritual life, and this isn't, this isn't a, a testimony necessarily about there's some good heart out there as if there's some person on their own who apart from Christ is good. No, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. There isn't some good heart that we've got to find out there and say, only the good hearts. Do you have a good heart? Because if you don't have a good heart, I'm not going to preach to you. Like, no, we're all broken. We're all dead in our sins. Every one of our hearts are idol factories. But the truth that is being communicated through this narrative is that there are some who will hear, hold fast, and bear fruit. That is the promise of the gospel. That while there may be many, and it's a three to this, this is a this is a one to four ratio, or you know, you got twenty five percent here for for just doing some fractions, three bad hearts, one good heart. All right, so I don't know if that's any any statement on the statistical you know opportunities out there. Twenty five percent of those who will hear will ever, I don't know, I have no idea, right? God's got that data; He's sorting it over long term study. But the point is, is that I think it's very common for us to run into the hearts that will not hear. And it's easy to get discouraged because we see that over and over and over. But there is hope because Jesus promises that it won't be that way in every case. That Jesus has said that there are some who belong to me who are not in this fold. Paul was told by the Holy Spirit, by God, he says that there are people in this town who belong to me. And so what did Paul do? He stayed for an extra two years preaching. Why? So that the elect might come. That's the idea is that Jesus says that there's some who belong to me that need to hear the gospel. Preach it to them. Go share the word. Remember Ephesians 
It, it, it talks about that beauty, and you also, having heard the word, the gospel of your salvation, and believed it, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. What is it? You heard it. Not only did you hear it, you believed it. Not only did you believe it, but the Holy Spirit got in you and sealed you up for Christ. That's the promise that there is that, there is that type of person out there who, when Jesus says, all the Father has given me, I shall lose none of them. Those are the people out there who are still waiting for us to preach the gospel to them. They're still waiting for the seed to be planted. And as we have in our hearts and our minds the belief that we have been saved by the word sown in our hearts, our job is that we should be about sowing the word in the hearts of others. Because there's still people in every people group. There's people all over the world. There's people on the Democratic side. There's people on the Republican side. There's people who are rich. There's people who are poor. There's people right now who are practicing all sorts of crazy things that belong to Jesus. And you are wrong to only preach to the people who are like you. Missing the point that God's people are all over the place waiting for the seed of the word to be planted. So that's our job, is to preach to the whole world, recognizing that there won't be a guarantee every time we preach. But there are four ways, and only one of them saves. He says, as for the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold fast and honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. I want to share one quote with you before we close. J.C. Ryle says, Outward profession of Christianity and the formal use of church ordinances and sacraments never gets a man, uh, gave a man a good hope in life or peace in death or rest in the world beyond the grave. There must be fruits of the Spirit in our hearts and lives or else the gospel is preached to us in vain. So I want to encourage you, don't hope in either your baptism or the fact that you show up here and take the Lord's Supper every once in a while, or because your name is found on some roster or some Excel sheet in some Baptist church or some other church, that doesn't save you. What saves you is belonging to Christ. And when we belong to Christ, we bear fruit. Because bearing fruit doesn't get us to Christ. Bearing fruit comes from us being rooted in Christ. And with that, I want to close. Let's stand and pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word, and I thank you for this parable that Jesus Christ shared that we can recognize that we are to preach the gospel, we are to preach the word, even though we recognize that some will fall along the path and be trampled, devoured, and crushed by the devil. Others will fall on on, on rocky soil And even though they may seem interested, they wither away. And others who maybe even go a little bit further than that may may even spring up and, and, and show something for a period of time. Yet when the trials come, when the love of the world comes, when the pleasures of the world are placed before them, they see those as more beautiful than Jesus Christ. And they fall away. Yet, Father, you have told us that there are some who will hear, who will believe, and who will bear fruit. So we pray, Father, that you will help us in this ministry of planting the seeds of the gospel. 
May we be faithful to preach to all people, recognizing that you have some all over who are waiting to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they may be saved. So Father, if there's anyone in this room that needs the seed to penetrate their heart, to go below the surface, to have salvific effect, we recognize that only the Holy Spirit can do that. We can't do that, but we pray for it in confidence that it can happen. It does happen. And we rejoice when it happens, Father. I pray you give us the courage to continue to preach the gospel even when we find that we are opposed by both man and by the power of darkness. May we rest in your strength. May we rely on your word to do its work. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray for these hearts. Let's pray for these gospel encounters. And let's continue to worship.